listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the show. Our expert today is Daryl Cross. He's the author of Cultivating Excellence, and also he serves as the very first in-house sales coach for one of the largest law firms in the world, Norton Rose Fulbright, where he builds scalable sales programs and helps partners build their own impactful practices that mutually benefit clients in the firm. He's an interesting person. He's got a great reputation. Even if you're not in the legal industry, you're going to get some great ideas from my conversation with Daryl today. We're talking about coaching and high performance for rainmakers. Make sure you check out his LinkedIn profile. Connect with him that way. Go to the show notes. I also put the link for his book. I'd highly recommend that. And as always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence, Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Thanks for listening. I hope you get some great ideas from my conversation with Daryl. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Our guest today is Daryl Cross, and we're talking about coaching and high-performance culture for rainmakers. Daryl, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks, Scott, for having me here today. Appreciate it. Yeah, this is great. And as you know, in law firms, in any sort of pressure cooking environment, performance is all what it's all about. People have to perform at a high level. Tell me about what your experience has been. What has been, I'd say, if you could call it the number one variable that people have to keep top of mind to build that type of culture? What do you think that number one variable is? Well, I think it's a it's a mindset piece. Uh, you know, it's you have to be part of a growth mindset and always be willing to be, I guess, coachable for lack of a better term. The willingness to know that even though you're the best at what you do and have been since maybe you were five years old and your teachers have always told you the smartest person in class or the fastest runner or whatever it is, the people that really do great and keep doing great are the ones that are willing to say, there's something else I need to learn or yeah. there's something that's advancing and I need to catch up on, but always this growth mindset. And that's where really that high performance culture comes from is an acknowledgement of I'm never done. Yeah. Uh, so that's usually the biggest variable that I see. And this is interesting. So you're a sales coach with one of the largest law firms in the world. And yep. I work in the legal industry. And I know that there's a little, a wee little bit of hubris in every partner's attitude <laughs> where they're, they've got to have this client-facing persona of, I have all the answers. But I, I've seen that that persona kind of permeates other aspects of their lives. What have you seen in that regard? And how have you dealt with that as a sales coach for people like that? It is a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy for you to make lots and lots of money and be very, very busy and everybody want to know you and then say that there's something more that I can do, right? Yeah, and yeah. it's like, like I joke sometimes, it's it's like teaching lions that just ate to get up and chase something. It's just really <laughs> hard to do right. because right now they're really busy. <laughs> but the biggest thing with uh, between with sales coaching and working with lawyers is lawyers are very precedent-based thinkers. They think that way. They're trained to don't ask questions that you don't know the answers for in advance. And sales is the 
opposite of that. It's forward thinking. It's painting a vision that maybe has never been done before and asking questions that you purposely do not know the answers to, to formulate a solution. So it's one of the challenges with that. That's why I've always loved, did it with law. But I've noticed I've worked on the corporate world and sales coaching and uh, leadership. We run into a lot of the same problems there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you help somebody who has, and I love that example, they've eaten and how do you get them to continue to stay hungry and continue to to want to grow? You know, I wish I could actually make them watch this new television show I'm watching. It's a, a history channel show called Alone, where they dump these people out in the wilderness and they have to catch their own food and get their own water and build their own shelter before winter comes. And there's so many analogies and metaphors that I could throw in just for that. But it's sometimes hard to have them think that, when I'm really busy today and I've got so many things going on, how do I plan for that future? And really, one of the big things I tell them is because it's really not up to us. It's the clients are the ones that are kind of perpetually moving the finish line. If you think about it, if you take a lawyer that was a great rainmaker or a salesperson that was a great, great President's Club member today, but five years from now, they're using the exact same tactics, they'd mm-hmm. probably be not very good. So if you're using today what you used five years ago, it makes sense that these aren't the best approaches. So that's why we got to constantly be learning and moving forward. And so I'm really curious about the work that you do today with Norton Rose, the fact that Mm -hmm. you are a sales coach. I mean, first, the fact that you have the word sales in your title (laughs) in the legal industry, I thought that was interesting. Tell me about that. How do you have that title and why is that important when you're even speaking to an industry that doesn't like that word? Yeah, sales has been known as the S-word for quite a long time. And marketing was actually known as the S-word for a long time too, just in a different way of saying it. You know, sales is important distinction for what we do. I think what marketing, business development, and sales are used interchangeably. Marketing, I really view as the influencing of attitudes and opinions. This is what I think about someone. I think of this brand or this person. Uh, business development is like what we you would call in the corporate world more sales enablement. What are mm-hmm. the things, the infrastructure, the foundations, the things we have to have in place to sell? And sales, though, is the last mile of both. It's like really plugging the plug into the outlet there. That's what sales is. It influences action. I'm going to hire this lawyer versus this one. I'm going to buy this software versus that one. And that's where sales comes in. So when we structure this role, which is brand new for the industry in-house full-time, it's we're just going to concentrate on that last mile because we have a tremendous amount of talented people at our firm in marketing business development. We're just adding this to the mix And it uh, becomes exponential in its effect that way. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think that's innovative. I think it is ahead of the curve. I've seen a few people with the sales word word in their title, Mm -hmm. and it's very rare. I think that the word itself scares people for whatever reason, but it's all about getting business. And I I respect what you're doing. I think that's truly innovative and something that's going to put your firm ahead of all the others in, in that regard. I do want to point out with that too, sales is mutually beneficial when we look at it as being fiercely client-focused. And I I say, how does this client make or save money? How do they keep themselves out of trouble? How do they spend more time on a weekend with their kids versus in the office putting out a fire? That's what we're trying to do with sales. We proactively seek out those opportunities. We help the clients grow. We see something in the newspaper and we go, oh, that's an opportunity for our client. Now, of course, we're going to benefit from it. But that's the attitude you take to go after it. And I found that just even presenting it in that way makes it a no-brainer. Of course, we're going to do it this way. 
And I think that is, I mean, again, along the thread of innovation, I think that's an innovative way to teach people to think about what they do when they're selling their services. It's not about you. Of course, you benefit. It's about your client prospect. It's about mm-hmm. your client. How do you solve a problem that benefits them? And as you know, when people buy, they're buying emotionally. And you're not selling to companies, you're selling to individuals. And this is something I learned long ago, was that it's not just the benefit, it's the benefit of the benefit. And even beyond that, it's not just the benefit of the benefit, it's the personal and emotional context associated with that benefit of that benefit. But do you kind of get get to that level of depth with the people that you're working with now, Daryl? Yeah, we do. I have a um, a sales methodology, proprietary sales methodology that we use here and we teach to all of our lawyers that is meant to have that frame of mind. But, you know, for example, I won't mention it who it is, but there's a very large company that we just want a piece of business with that their CEO made something of a mention of the reason we want to do this sustainability project is because we're better than our competitor and we yeah. want to use it to beat them in the market. And that's an application of legal expertise versus, oh, well, let's do a review of all your uh, sustainability projects. They want to use it for a competitive advantage. So we are doing things for them as a tool to beat their competition, not just stay in compliance. And it's that proactive foresight of us, how do we grow this company? And I tell my lawyers and people I've worked with in the past as well is it's our responsibility to make that stock ticker go up. It's our yeah. responsibility for them to expand and grow 20% in the next year. That's our job. And if we do that, wherever whatever practice it is or solution we bring to the table, they will keep coming back to us, not only more often, but earlier in the decision process. So we're a first call, only call. That's what yeah. we're trying to get to. I think that's great. I admire that concept because it's selfless. It's all about the client. I think it's effective. It's congruent with the core values that I know a lot of partners have where most of them, they're not going to be reenacting scenes from Boiler Room in their sales training <laughs> in their sales training classes. They're just yeah. not that person, right? And so, so I like that. This makes the introverts feel safe and happy where it's not about them because most of them are not selfish people from what I've met. They truly do care about their clients. They truly mm-hmm. do care about that. So I think that's congruent with a lot of them. So let me ask you this, kind of moving in the direction of pitfalls. What has been your experience, not just in legal, but anybody that's in professional services or B2B sales, what have been some of the big pitfalls that you think that have kept them from reaching a peak performance state as it comes to selling their services? Well, there's a couple of big things. Most of them revolve around the concept of trying to do everything by yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge proponent of team-based sales and not just for the kumbaya effect of it, but because it actually works better uh, with that. And you see it in corporate, you have like inside sales, outside sales, competitive intelligence, they all break it up. Inside law firms, a lot of times we expect the lawyer to do all of that by themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, they're outsourced maybe the, you know, putting things together component, but they're having to do everything. That's really hard to do when you look at it from a client business perspective, when you're very, very focused on one particular practice of law. So I think team-based selling is really important and using what we've learned from other professional teams to you know, use that in a proper way. The other thing, though, is just an extreme focus mentality. Trying to be known as the go-to person in anything for millions and millions of people. I mean, we're not Instagram influencers. We're trying to make our clients really happy and a very small segment of the world very, very happy. So I I joke sometimes that don't try to be an influencer, be a cult leader. 
the cult leader <laughs> of just a handful of clients, prospects, and referral sources that you know really well and they know you very well. So just getting people to shrink their world down and really focus on that. The stuff that comes in off the street or the phone rings, that's going to happen anyway. So when we're using our time to be proactive, let's focus on the most likely, the most probable, as opposed to what could happen. That's great. I love it. Be a cult leader. <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that's not a great quote to put by my name, but you know, that's the concept, right? Everybody wants to be known as the go-to for or world yeah, famous right. for. And I like to say a lot that everybody has 15 people that'll make or break their year. Just worry about those people. And yeah. uh, that may change over time who those people are. But if you start there, the uh, rest will usually follow. Right. So what do you think gets in the way of high performance, not just for attorneys, but anybody from your experience working as a consultant and as an advisor in sales? What kind of keeps us from performing at our peak levels? So there's this concept. I wrote a book um, called Cultivating Excellence. Right. Uh, We're going to put that link in the show notes, by the way. So for anybody listening... That's yeah. my blatant book plug. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was actually a really fun book. I wrote it. I co-authored it with my father, who was a retired Navy admiral. I enjoy standing in his shadow quite a bit. He was a commander of an aircraft carrier. He was an F-14 pilot. He actually won the Top Gun trophy in 1970. <laughs> so wow. he's, he pretty knows what he's talking about. And I, I had a conversation with him of, you know, I was frustrated. I was in corporate training and coaching and just saying, I these people are really smart. They work really hard, but the disparity between results is just huge. And he asked me how we train people. And I told him, and I said, how did you train people like to be pilots and all these kind of high-end vigilants? Go, Not like that. <laughs> so, you know, the typical corporate watch a PowerPoint, go to a yearly event, uh, you know, do all those kinds of things. And so we started studying, you know, everybody from F1 drivers to actually astronauts to Green Bay Packers training camp to Navy SEALs, the police academy in Washington, D.C. How do you train these people like that? And one of the big things we found coaching was important, team is important. But on the individual level, there's this concept, I'll try to define it really quickly, tapping into your functional reserve. So this is what, if you were here in your ability and you're really capable of here, we're trying to shrink this gap. Right, And the thing is, is you're already capable of doing it, but you're being held back by complacency. Well, mm-hmm. I'm better than Scott. I'm better than Jennifer. So that's good enough, right? Reservations about, eh, I'm not sure about this approach. I might look silly or fear. And so if we can keep doing things that allow people to increase that by 1%, 1%, 1%, we already have the capability. It's the fastest way to high performance is just keep moving them up a little at a time versus these grand goals that they'll never achieve because they can't get past the barriers they already have. So you break down and tap into that functional reserve a little bit of time, and then we raise the bar and we do it again. But that's the main thing that holds people back. It's their own glass ceiling of performance. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Years ago, one of my coaches who passed away, his name was Dr. Ken Christian. I met him at a speaker's conference. This is like 2005, 2006, I think. And he wrote a book called Your Own Worst Enemy, Overcoming the Habit of Adult Underachievement. And as I was reading the book, I realized, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. One concept he came up with was the shortstopper, somebody that gets all the way up to a goal, then they stop before they go over the finish line. And I found from doing training on this for people in the recruiting industry years ago that we all get in our own way. And I think a lot of it had to do with self-esteem, how we see ourselves. Yeah. The other thing is the relationship that people have with money. 
And so uh, do you get into that level of depth when you coach people that you're working with now, Daryl? You know, I mean, really talking about how they view themselves or self-esteem, stuff like that? Yeah, it's important because coaching, it's a very human activity. I mean, you don't want to get up in there and just start reciting activity numbers and you know quotas and all that to people because it just doesn't influence them. Yeah, I mean, they're right. doing this to be, I jokingly call, rich, smart, and happy. They want to make or save money. They want to look good in front of their peers, their spouse, their friends, or like I said, spend more time on the weekend with their kids versus at the office. You know, Rich, smart, and happy is what they want. So if you just throw numbers at people, I mean, there's a point where these people make plenty of money. They have way more prestige than they ever will ever need. And so how do you influence people like that? It comes down to that emotional side of it. It's like, what do you really want to do with your time? What do you want to do with, you know, five years from now? What do you want to leave behind? Legacy. What's your mission you're trying to accomplish? And that's what you have to tap in. And that goes into emotion. And when you have a, a good coaching relationship, it's very personal. It's very candid. It's very private. And people eventually start saying, you know what? I just hate going into this room and feel like I'm the only person who doesn't know how this works. Yeah, yeah. All right, how do we fix that? And you need people to have that kind of kind of candor with you to do it. But that's also where you can start pairing them up with people that have maybe not similar issues, but complementary strengths to try to pull you through that a little bit. And that that helps too. Right. What, what do you think about the concept of emotional awareness? How do you think that impacts one's ability to sell? And how have you worked with professionals on that issue? Yeah, it's exceptionally important because people don't make rational selling or buying decisions. You know, right. we all drive around in our way too expensive cars with a way too expensive golf driver in the back drinking $5 hey, Easy, easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are not the things that we made rational. They make us happy. They, right. We like yeah. those things. They make us feel good and pride and whatever. And that's that's how people buy things. And yeah. legal services or software or you know or cars are the same thing. So there is an emotional aspect for it. And one of the things that I try to coach is when you're doing discovery and having these conversations with customers and clients, you ask them, kind of confirm what you've seen or heard, but then you have to get into, does that concern you? You've really been growing, you've been expanding your company by 31% in 18 months. What concerns you about that? What are you worried about? If something goes wrong, what then? You know, and it, you tap into that a little bit and you listen for the pauses or the looks mm-hmm. off into space. And, and I tell my lawyers and other people I coach, it's like, that's what you have to key on. Because I just work with lawyers now, but in the past, I would hear the same thing from salespeople. Like when I worked at LexisNexis, They'd go in there and just recite a list off of why you should buy us and why we're better than the other place. And they're not even paying attention to the person's face. You don't know what's hitting or not. And that is the key to moving forward, not only to making the sale, but actually making a connection that lets you make the next one. Yeah, that's great. That's great. What have you learned in your role at Norton Rose? I'm just kind of curious, how have you grown? What have you learned in this role of being a coach to partner-level attorneys? Yeah, it's once again, it is you're working with the best of the best. The people all have this client list people would die for, right? Right. And we're really, it's not trying to do these revolutionary things. I actually, when I was younger working in this industry, I was a CMO of a law firm at age, oh, geez, 33. That was way too young, Uh, but a long time ago. And it was like, well, this is the proper way to do things. This is the proven method, and blah, blah, blah. You got to get on board. And I just learned along the way, it's like, who am I to come in here 
tell you you have to change everything. It's this aggregation of marginal gains, 1% here, 1% there. Sir Dave, Dave Brailsford is this gentleman. He was um, in charge of British cycling for the Olympics. He comes in, uses that approach, the aggregation of marginal gains, 1% of better sleep, 1% better hygiene, 1% better training. The seat posts are always the same. And when you accumulate that at the elite level, it's massive, massive advantage. And so that's really what I've learned along the way, and especially here, because that is definitely the best way that people can absorb what you're trying to coach them on right, right. and apply it in the proper speed. That's fantastic, Daryl. I appreciate you sharing that. So what advice would you give to people if they want to really start growing and they want to start performing at a high level, whether you're talking to leaders that are coaching their own team or mm-hmm. those rainmakers themselves, if there were three action steps you would give them, what would those three action steps be, Daryl? So one of the things, uh, let me preface it by saying the biggest deficiency why these things don't work in any organization with coaching is a lack of scale. Uh, the fact is, is that a coach, an individual, can only work with a certain amount of people and know right. enough about them to do it. So there has to be other things going on at the same time. There has to be foundational proficiency in what they're trying to do. So if you're trying to teach people how to sell, they got to know how to sell at least a level for them to get by by themselves. Mm-hmm. It's like learning a fly plane. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has to be a fighter pilot, but everybody's got to know how to land. Okay, we have to all know how to do that, no matter what you are. So there's proficiency in the skills, whether it's running, golfing, selling, being a lawyer, whatever. So you have to set aside programs to make everybody proficient mm-hmm. with that. The other thing you need to do also is really leverage any kind of technology or infrastructure you can. So these things can be happening while you're sleeping. Yeah, Uh, people are accessing videos. They're using pipeline management tools that are easy enough for anybody to use. Once again, that's you know building scale with things. But I do think the biggest thing, I actually learned this, I had a stint at Amazon Web Services. I was running uh, their sales methodology strategy team, their global team. And we always talked about working backwards. What are we trying to do? What do our clients want from us? Let's work backwards into what we need to talk to them about, but also what skills we need to prepare on. So I would say to people, an action step is start with your end result. If it's winning more business, what happens right before that? What happens right before that? What happens right before that? And you actually build simulations that allow us to practice those elements. And then when we fail or when we don't have a good answer during those simulations, that's what we go work on and coach on. And then we run the simulation again. But we start from the end, work backwards into what we need to practice, and that will tell us what we need to develop. That's, that's so, very pre- specific and very precise. It's a very precise way to train people, Daryl. Well, that's how we learned to do it from actually the astronaut folks we talked to. We spent about three days down at uh, Johnson Space Center. And the unique thing about that is, and I get a little giddy, it's like, you know, little kids with dinosaurs and growing up with astronauts. (laughs) We all love it. We're walking around, there's just astronauts everywhere. They all want to talk and it's really neat to do. But the interesting thing about it is no one on planet Earth knows how to be an astronaut. No one has a knack for it, was born that way. You know, I just always was, was a really good astronaut. Everybody has to be taught it. And right. these people that come in are very successful pilots and scientists and engineers and whatever, but they have to learn something completely new. So it's, it's very similar to other high performers teaching them a new skill. So they do things like, all right, we're going to practice spacewalk. Today, we're going to change the batteries on this. 
So they walk backwards for, okay, we're going to go in the underwater tank and practice it. Oh, well, we got to know how to put our spacesuit on properly. We got to know what to happen in emergency. I got to know how to use this wrench in zero G. So they simulate and they work backwards into what the skills they need to do. They see where people fail. That's what they practice. And then they do it again. And then they make it harder. You know, they make it in less time or more challenges. And that's how you break that functional reserve. And by the time they go up into space, this is easy now to the point of yeah. boredom. And uh, that's what we try to replicate here, even though the consequences of failure are not quite the same. Yeah, right. <laughs> the training right. method works really well. <laughs> so I would say to people, going back to your original uh, thing there, use simulations for training, build a proficiency model of the basic things everybody has to know they do. And once you get that, then you raise that bar. And then, of course, working backwards from where we want to end and use that as your development plan. Well, Daryl, this is fantastic. I think you've given us some great wisdom here. Thank you for sharing that. And before we go, tell us about your book, any other offerings or anything else you have that you'd like for our audience to know about. And we'll certainly put your contact info and your book link on our show notes. Yeah, no, I just do full-time with Norton Rose Fulbright right now with my lawyers. I enjoy doing that. I enjoy keeping my head down and just making us yeah. and our clients more successful. But if you'd like to read the book, Cultivating Excellence, The Art, Science, and Grit, of high performance in business. It's available on amazon.com and it was a lot of fun to write. We're already working on our next little iteration of that. More to come with that. Uh, the last thing I would mention though, it's, it's very helpful and I encourage other people to do it too. I coach a, a division one Washington Irish rugby football club here. So <laughs> it's a volunteer position, but it's a bunch of 25 to 30 year old, really, really good rugby players, one level below pro. And it's amazing what you learn coaching people that you can then take back and apply. So I do encourage people to uh, find local coaching, kids, adults, whatever it is, because you learn methods and you learn what works and what doesn't. And I can experiment out there before I come here and do it for a paycheck. So that's <laughs> it's great, helpful girl. as a learning tool. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you again for being here. I'm sure we're going to have you back on the show in the future. And thank you again for being with us today, Daryl. Great. Thanks, Scott. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.